we are still talking about who we are in Christ with the episode that I'm calling Don't Base Your Worth on the Wrong Words. Hey, it's Amber, wife, mother, type A child of God. Here are little things we look at everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for listening. So I don't know about you. I don't know what your self-talk looks like, but my self-talk can be pretty damning. I can say things like, Amber, you are so stupid. Why did you do that? When will this, um, when will you start making good decisions? I can tell myself I'm just not good enough. I can say all kinds of things that keep me from doing the work of God or from feeling confident in who I am in Christ. And it's just important that we recognize where that comes from because those words are not from God. God doesn't feel that way about us at all. And it's so important that we start understanding where our words and our thoughts are coming from. Because once we start understanding that, we can make amends, we can change, we can do things differently, we can combat what those words are. But until we do, we can get sucked into doing things and a different lifestyle than we would otherwise if we knew our identity was rooted in Christ in the way that he feels about us. So first of all, a big part of this, I think, comes back to I teach teens And I know that this is something that they're dealing with all the time. And I think when we're younger, we fall into this trap more. And actually when we're older, on the very end of our lives, on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's super easy to feel like I'm worthless. I'm not good for anything. Why does God still have me here? And fall into these same traps. Sometimes when we're in the middle of our life and we're strong and our faith is strong and we're in the word and we're in Bible studies and all those things, we can we can combat all of this. But on either end of the spectrum, we tend to get pulled away. So for instance, I've been in ministry for a long time and I've worked with teens for a long time and it is a bleak outlook. So when I look at all the teens that I have taught over all the years and how many of them are in church right now, it's not looking good. In fact, one of the prayers that we routinely pray at the end of my teen Bible study is that God would put um, faith in the hearts of those people who have walked away, all those people who are straying those people who were raised in the church, that he would put like sandpaper in their shoe, a pebble in their shoe to remind them that the path that they're on right now is not the path of obedience and blessing, but instead to come back to God who is waiting for them with open arms and to remember who they are in Christ. So we routinely pray this at the end of our teen Bible study now. But what is it that draws so many people away when they're young adults? Why is it? The studies are out there. You can look at the Barna research, the Lifeway research, the the studies from 2011, 2014, 2019. They're bleak. 60 to 70%, depending on the study, of young people who walk away from the church. They've grown up, they've been raised in the church, 
and they get out to college, they get out on their own and boom, they're gone. And you know, their life isn't over. We don't know when and if they'll come back. So, um, the latest studies have not been good. It has shown, you know, that people who are walking away from the church don't necessarily come back when they get married or have kids. But, you know, I don't base my prayers and I certainly don't base my ministry on um, bad results in the past. I just keep praying for the Lord to bring those people back and to remind them who they are in Christ. And again, that goes back to what are you hearing from the word and world and what do you hear when you're in the word? And, you know, when we go off into the world, after we've been raised in the church, you've been raised with all these things. You learned Jesus loves you. You learned that you were, you know, loved, beloved, forgiven child of God. And when you are in the confines of your home, your Christian home, that is so easy to remember. And then you get out into the world on a college campus or living in an apartment with unbelievers or what have you, and everybody is living differently than the way that your parents have raised you. And you have a decision to make. Are you going to stick to those beliefs and to the way of life that you had when you were living with your parents, or are you going to go a different route? And again, we have to remember that nothing has changed because the apostle Peter wrote thousands of years ago, he wrote, they, the world, this is first Peter four, verse four, are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. So that's what we can many times expect when we go out into the world and you're living differently. And then again, you have to decide, am I going to keep doing my thing? I, I don't care if you um, say that I'm crazy or stupid. They wreck, they, they heap abuse on me. I'm just going to do what I know I ought to do, or are you going to turn and just become the way they are? You know, it's funny because even I am in my late forties right now. And last week I was on my way to work and I set my cruise control to the speed limit. So I have very little, uh, if I just am on my own without my speed, the cruise control set, I tend to have a lead foot. I I don't even know that I'm going faster. And then I look down, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going so much. So I set my cruise control all the time because I just know myself and I know that I'm not a good gauge of what speed I'm going. And so I got to work last week one day and there's a young nursing assistant there. He had passed me on the road on the way there and he said, oh, I figured that was you going exactly 60 miles an hour. I'm sure you set your cruise control that so you don't go, you know, one mile over the speed limit. And I said, well, actually I do because I, I want to obey the speed limit and uh, it's important to me. So yeah, that's exactly what I do. And ever since then, every time that I come to the end of a shift and I'm saying goodbye to everybody. Hey, see you tomorrow or see you next week or see you in a couple of days or whatever. He says something like, enjoy your 60 mile an hour ride home or make sure you don't go over 60 miles an hour, Amber, or whatever. And it is crazy that at this point in my life for doing the right thing, I am still getting insulted. It, it's, it's crazy that this doesn't end. And I, at this point, don't care. Because I'm very comfortable going the speed limit. I'm honoring God. 
I'm honoring my country and the authorities, and I'm living in a safe way. I've told him that. He passed me coming onto oncoming traffic and it's crazy going way too fast, driving recklessly. I'm like, there's a reason my insurance is considerably less money than yours is because you are a young, crazy person who's driving recklessly. And uh, someday you'll realize, and prayerfully, I pray for you, that God will keep you safe in the meantime. I used to be that reckless person too. I would have done the exact same thing at his age, 100%. But that's just to say that, you know, your whole life long, if you're doing the right thing, you are going to be insulted by people who don't understand why you're living the way that you're living. And again, you have to make the decision. Does that mean that I'm just going to throw away what the way I'm living and, and live the way everybody else is going to live? Or am, am I going to stand for the things of God and for the way that I know that God would have me live? It's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they got to Babylon, everybody else was living a certain way. They were eating the food and drinking the wine that was you know, sacrificed to idols, that was against their Jewish diet. And they had a choice to make. I mean, they were taken captive. It wasn't like they were free people and like anybody was asking what their opinion was. And yet they decided that they were going to try and that they were going to hope for an exemption. And they won the favor of the king's man. And they were, they showed him, they were able to show him, look, we will do this for 10 days. And if we're healthier, just let us keep doing it. They went out of their way to show that they were okay to live the way that they wanted to live. But all throughout the book of Daniel, we find Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are consistently put at odds with the rest of the world and how they had to stand. And it's not easy. And a lot of us would have caved. And again, that goes back to what is going through your mind. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have said things like, clearly God doesn't expect us to live according to his ways when we are captives in a heathen land. They could have told themselves, you know, God knows my heart. He knows that I'm not actually worshiping when I bow down to the statue. So I think he'd be okay with me doing it. In my heart, I'm going to pray to him while I'm bowing down to a heathen God. And I'm pretty sure God would be okay with that. They could have told themselves so much self-talk to talk them out of doing things the way that they knew they could honor God. And yet all throughout the book of Daniel, we see them doing the opposite. We see them standing on the ways that they should live, the ways that do honor God and that will not glorify an idol or a heathen king. And them saying when they're confronted, my God will protect me. And even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down. So even if I go to my death in this way, this is how it's going to be because I will honor God with my life. That's what we need to stand against the current of the world. We are at odds. It's the narrow road and the wide road, the, the broad road that leads to destruction. And people are more than happy to have you on it versus the narrow road, which is the path of taking up your cross and denying all the selfish ambitions, all the pleasures of the world, and walking with God. 
God does not see us as failures. So all the times, you know, that in your, in your brain, the things come along that, that tell you you're nothing, you're worthless. Um, you can't do this. You can't do this. How many times a day do you hear that? How many times a day does it go through your head? You just can't do this. This is way too much. I can't, I'm not strong enough. I I can't deal with this. Stop. You can't, God can. Who is with you? God. So quit depending on yourself. Quit talking yourself out of doing hard things and just remind yourself and read through the gospels and read through the whole Bible and see what people of God did with God with them. There's only one hero in the Bible. It's not David. It's not Moses. It's not Esther. There's one hero. It's God. Because none of those people could do what they did apart from God. So I just want to remind you, I'm going to go through a bunch of passages kind of quickly, to remind you as you have been wallowing in self-guilt and self-pity, as I sometimes do, that that is not from God. Okay? So how do I know? Just these few passages that I'm going to read. This is just a tip of the iceberg. So in Matthew 18, verse 12, Jesus says this, If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill to go look for the one who wandered off? Jesus is saying, even if you've wandered away, even if you've made some terrible decisions, even if your mouth has had you saying stupid things, even if you can recount a million ways that you have not lived up to a lifestyle that glorifies God, you know what Jesus says? He will leave everybody else and he will come after you. So you're not worthless and you're not stupid and it's not a waste of life that you are still here. Jesus said, I'll leave them all. Jude 1, verse 22 and 23. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. We're not supposed to condemn people who have been doubting or who have walked away. Our job as Christians is to go rescue them and be merciful to them. We have the account of the prodigal son. A guy who totally blew it, messed it up, made all the wrong decisions, prostitutes, wild living, took his dad's money, squandered it all, comes back with nothing. And how is he greeted by the father? Oh, the father sees him when he's still a long ways off and he starts running towards him. He's been watching for him. And as soon as he sees him, he can't wait to wrap his arms around him. We know that Satan is an accuser. We're told in Revelation 12, verse 10, this, um, that Satan is the accuser who accuses the brothers, the brothers and sisters, before God day and night. In the book of Zechariah, just read chapter three, read the whole chapter, at least verses one to 10. So Satan is accusing the high priest, Joshua, the high priest. Before God, he's telling, he's telling God all the things that Joshua, the high priest does, has done. He's accusing him. And look at God's response. Take those filthy clothes off of him. Put his clean clothes on. God says, 
I know what he's done. But my righteousness covers that. We're told, in fact, Isaiah 43, verse 1 says this. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob. He who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. We were created and formed by God. He knows our weaknesses. He knows how we get into trouble time and time and time and time again. He gets it. He's redeemed us. That means he's bought us back. And the apostle Peter said he did that not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, his holy, precious, innocent blood. Jesus didn't want us to be lost forever. He cares so much about us that he gave his own life to buy us back so that Satan has nothing to stand on. Oh, he can try. He can whisper these things. He can remind us of these things. But God doesn't feel that way. Jesus paid for us. We're redeemed. We're bought back, paid in full. That's what Jesus said. It is finished, paid in full, done. And God says, you are mine. So the next time you're thinking, I'm so worthless, I'm never good enough, I never get things right, whoa, 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 whoa. You're a child of God. You're someone that Jesus left heaven to die for. On that cross, he wouldn't pay for junk. He doesn't feel like you weren't worth it. He said, I shed my blood for you. Do you understand how much I love you? Do you have any idea how valuable you are to me? Hebrews 8, verse 12. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Isaiah 1, 18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as so. Think of Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. We do that. That's not God's words. God didn't say right in the Bible, Thomas is a doubter. And that's how he will be labeled forevermore. No. You know what we see in the Bible? We see a very hurt Thomas who was not there on the first day of the week when Jesus appeared to the rest of his disciples. And so he said, when they said, we have seen the Lord, he said, unless I put my hands in his um, hands where the nails were in his hands and my hand on his side, I will not believe. And the next week, Jesus cared so much about Thomas that he came back for one, for one disciple, one disciple who was doubting, be merciful to the ones who doubt. Jesus came back to make sure he knew, no, no, Thomas, it's true. I've risen from the dead. What about Peter? Peter denied knowing his Lord and Savior three times in front of a servant, servant girl, just in front of, you know, Ordinary people. He denied him. And what did Jesus do? He reinstated him three times. No, Peter, you're not worthless. No, Peter, your sins do not accuse you before me. I paid for those sins. You know what I need? I need you working. Who else knows better than you that I will forgive it all? Who? You screwed up? Mm -hmm. Yep, everybody Everybody that you minister, they've all screwed up. You know, my love, good. Go build them up. Go teach them about me. 
You're the one I need. What is it that we are so afraid of? Why does it take so little to absolutely paralyze us and make us feel as if we're worthless? Because Satan is good. He is good at what he is doing. But you know what? We have weapons. We have weapons to combat all that Satan is doing. So in Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17, we're not going to go through all that because this would be way too long. But we're told this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not our power. Nope. If Satan wants to accuse me, yep, I have definitely screwed up. My mouth gets me into so much trouble. But you know what else? My mouth has also been used many times to inspire and build up the saints. So Satan, you can accuse me and I have screwed up. That's absolutely true. But I'm standing with God and in his mighty power. Because he's used me, even though I continue to screw it up. He continues to use me and I'm with him. I'm with him. Don't look at what I've done. Look at what he's done. We're told to put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say those of you who are strong should put on the full armor of God. It doesn't say those of you who have, you know, washed your hands of sin, or those of you who are good enough, or have been in the church a long time, or those of you who have a good family, good Christian home, whatever. Mm-mm. There, there, there are no disclaimers that keep some of us out. All of us. Be strong in the Lord. All of us put on the armor of God because Satan is scheming. And the words that you are going to hear, whether you're out in the world and they're telling you you're crazy. Why, are you, why, why aren't you drinking? Why aren't you sleeping with your girlfriend? Why would you get married? You are so young. Why, are you going to waste your life like that? Why are you going the speed limit? You have that much time? I thought you were busy. Most of us see the speed limit as a recommendation for old people and people who don't know how to drive. You will hear them all, all your life long. And then it will get worse as you get older to, like I said, you're worthless. What have you done with your life? Do you really think God cares about you? If he cares about you, why are you whittling away? in a bed where nobody comes to see you. Who do you think you are? And you know what we're told? We're told to resist the devil and he will flee. How do we do that? By knowing who we are. By knowing who we are in Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm not worthless. I don't care. If the only thing I did was raise my child to know the Lord, I don't know if I, I don't care if I've never made more than $30,000 a year. I don't care if I live in a tiny little house that most people would see as a piece of junk. I don't care if I drive the worst car in the parking lot. I don't care if anybody ever calls me pretty. I don't care about any of the nonsense. You know what? All that you need to care about is that God says he's created you 
He's formed you. He's redeemed you. And you are his. And at that, you need to start learning to tell Satan to shut up. And then like a scared little girl, Satan runs away. You know why? Because it's true. He can't stand against the truth. And that's why we stand on the word of God. And that's why we go back to the word of God. And that's why we have to learn to recognize when those words are coming into our head that are not of God. So we can say, nope, that may have worked on me a million times in the past. You may have gotten me to go crawl under my covers and do nothing for the afternoon back then. But you know what? Now, Satan, I know who I am in Christ. I know that he loves me, that he paid for my sin, and I know that you have to go. So shut up. And like my good, dear friend said to me not long ago, you tell him to shut up, and you tell him to go where he belongs. Go right to hell where you belong because this is not of God. Make sure you are standing on the promises and the words of God, and you will be strong in the Lord, and you will stand. And then not only will you stand, but you will pick up all your friends along the way, all the friends who call you and say, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I can't do this, I don't know, I, I'm not, I, right? You're not. Good thing you're standing with God because he is. This has been little things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. <laughs>